Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, well, hey, today we are starting a, a new series, and I'm, I'm really excited about this series because I think it's going to... I think it's going to tap into the heartbeat and the desire of, of everybody in this room. And honestly, this is one of humanity's greatest pursuits. And uh, we're calling this series Life on Purpose. Uh, we don't want to just do life in 2019 uh, without any intentionality. We don't want to live without any purpose. In fact, whether it's 2019 or 2020 or any year that we exist on this planet, we want to live life with some purpose. We want to live intentionally. And uh, we're going to do our best over the next couple of weeks to help everybody in the room discover what it is that purpose uh, for your life might be. And I also want to draw our attention to this as well. Next week, uh, we're going to be doing our Discover class directly after service. And we'll do two weeks of that and then another two weeks at the beginning of February. And uh, if you have not yet jumped on the team or heard about the mission of the church and you don't know how your purpose would fit into kind of the, the collective group here at the Father's House, I want to encourage you to jump in on that class. It's directly after service. We provide lunch. We take care of your kids. And uh, you can hear the vision of the house and you can get plugged in on the team and you can really discover how you're uniquely wired and your personality would fit in the context of your gifts. And we'll get you busy for Jesus here at the church. So uh, check that out next week. But today, uh, I do want to dive into this subject a little little bit and answer this question, how can we go about practically discovering what we are uniquely wired and crafted to do? Um, here's what I know to be true. Every single person in this room today has a call, has a purpose, has a unique plan, a destiny that God has given you. Not, not, not the person next to you, not necessarily what someone even said about you, but there is a unique call on every person here in the room today. You are not here on accident. You're not on this planet by accident. Um, I don't care if you were a surprise to your mom and dad. You are not the byproduct of a heated night of passion between your parents. Uh, you were here because God designed you to be here, okay? We, we are here not by accident, but purposefully by him. I don't believe in accidental people. By the way, if you've ever told your kid they were a surprise, just stop doing that now, okay? Like, what that translates to is, you know, I didn't want you, but we got you. And that's how kids read into it. I was a youth pastor for years, so trust me on that. Um, but, but there are no accidental kids. There are no accidental births. There might be some accidental parents. Uh, but, but God knew that you would be here all along. It says in Jeremiah that before you even breathed your first breath, that God knew every one of your days. They were numbered. They were in a book. He fashioned you together in your mother's womb. And he didn't just create you, but he created you for a purpose. He created you to do something on this planet. And I think the greatest days of your life, if I could water it down to two, number one, the day you find Jesus, the day of salvation. And number two, you discover the reason he saved you. You discover the purpose behind why you're here on this planet. And, and I think that we have overcomplicated this process of discovery when it comes to purpose. People spend thousands of dollars and they buy book after book after book and they go to school and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars getting degrees trying to figure out what exactly am I on this planet for? But, but I don't think it has to be that complicated. I, I think the Bible simplifies it quite a bit. In fact, I think that today, if we just look at scripture a little bit, we can discover very simply how you discover your purpose. And I know how arrogant that sounds because you're like, Really? Like, you know, you're going you're gonna to explain to me how to find my purpose when, you know, everybody else has written books about it and you've never written a book about it and people went to college for it and you didn't go to college for it. How arrogant for you to think that you can tell me how to find my purpose. The guy in the skinny jeans on the west side of San Francisco had the answer the whole time. Like, that's what we're trying to tell me. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't have the answer. The Bible does. 
but, but I think, again, we have complicated this and we need to keep it simple. And, and Jesus, listen, let's just, let's just get practical for a moment. If God wants us to do something for him on this planet, do you think that he would make it incredibly impossible to discover what that was? Do you think that he would force you to spend a lifetime trying to figure it out and read through a hundred different books and go to teach? No. If he's wired you for something specific and he's a good God, wouldn't he want to reveal that to us? Absolutely. So I want to, I want to take a look at a couple of scriptures today. And I think these are going to help you out a little bit. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Romans, um, one of my, my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll read a quick scripture out of Psalms, and then we're going to dive in. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't let the world... Uh, crowd you, squeeze you into its mold. Let God remold your minds from within, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, God's plan for you, God's purpose for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Then you'll know what God's purpose is for your life. And then uh, let's look at Psalms chapter 37, verse 4, two scriptures, and then we'll pray. It says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you all your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you all your heart's desires. If you're going to take notes, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to title this very mysteriously today, okay? We're going to call this sermon, The Mistaken Altar. Oh, come on. Doesn't that sound like Lord of the Rings or something? That's good. The Mistaken Altar. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, we love you this morning. And uh, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that during worship, all of us could sense that you were in the room today. God, you're close the heavens are thin today. And uh, we pray over these next couple of moments as our hearts are open to you, God, that you would, would do what no man, no sermon, no song, no church can do, but what only the Holy Spirit can do, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would transform the way that we think, that we would see our lives differently, and that we would leave this place with some clarity, some clarity about why it is we are on this planet God, I pray for anybody in the room who's been searching, everyone who's been living without any sense of purpose or without any intention. God, let today be a day where it shifts for them. Let today be a day where they start uh, living out the good, pleasing, and perfect will of the Father for their life. We love you today, and we thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, participation time. How many of you guys are on social media of some sort? Facebook, Instagram? Okay, cool. Uh, how many on Instagram? Let's try that one. Okay, good. Basically the same. Number. Anyone on MySpace? Good. Okay. <laughs> good call. Just making sure I'm in the right church. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media. Um, I love the, the fact that with social media, we can stay up to date with people and you can kind of get a, a window into people's lives and see what's going on. And I have a friend from, from high school that I haven't talked to on the phone in years, uh, but over the last couple of years, I've watched him on social media and he just fell in love with a girl and proposed to a girl. And like, it's cool that we get to kind of see how people's lives work out and we get updates in the news and, you know, you can get stuff on, on social media, which is, which is great. But I think all of us would agree that uh, social media has not come without some negative consequences to our society. There are some contributions that are not quite so good uh, when it comes to social media, specifically Instagram. Um, I was reading through this article the other day, and uh, it, it listed like 10 reasons why social media has completely ruined our world. And, you know, that's a bit of a, of a massive statement, but uh, some negative contributions of social media. And I wanted to share a couple of them with you because maybe they will resonate with your life, but it said... 
because of social media, because of Instagram, there is decreased productivity in our world. <laughs> People spend hours on Instagram instead of doing what they should be doing. Okay, come on, confession. Yeah, anyone spent a little too much time on Instagram? Anyone been looking at your screen and like you looked up and it was dark outside, but it wasn't when you started? Have you ever? Okay. This is an honest place. We're here for you, okay? Number two, uh, it said that uh, social media has led to heightened insecurity. Nothing like Instagram to make you feel insecure, right? Nothing like opening up Instagram, feeling good about your life, and in like five seconds you realize, I don't dress cool enough, I don't go to cool coffee shops, my hair is terrible, I need all new clothes, like this is, this is, this is life. Like, Instagram will make you feel incredibly insecure. And, and by the way, if you're older and you're not on social media and that's not your deal, uh, this makes no sense to you. But for some of us, this is very deep and personal to the way, where we're living right now. Um, have you ever posted a picture on social media and, and you expected it to be liked and engaged with far more than it actually was? Have you ever happened that before? Like, I remember when I was in youth ministry, we, you know, this girl would post a picture of an in-and-out double-double hamburger, and it would have, like, 5,000 likes, and I'd, like, post about a prayer meeting that was coming, like, two people. We're like, I like this. I'm like, really? This is what our world has come to, you know? Someone posting selfies, and everyone likes that, but no one likes Jesus in the prayer meetings. Like, what's, what is wrong with our world? I, I, I remember, I don't know, a couple years ago when, this is why Instagram screwed us all up, okay? Um, I remember when they made it possible for you to see how many people viewed your videos versus the number of people that actually liked your videos. And you're like, oh, so you saw it. You just didn't do the little double tap, like. And to make matters worse, you could click on the views and see who viewed it. Like send message, oh, I see that you saw my video, but you didn't, you didn't want to give me your heart. No, that's cool, it's whatever, it's fine. Like, this is my best stuff. Like, I can't put anything else out there. This is as good as it gets for me. Nothing like Instagram to make you feel insecure. Um, but the, the, the third one, and, and this is a, a, uh, a clinical condition now, I think. Um, and, and again, maybe this resonates with you. Because of social media, many of us experience something called FOMO. FOMO, F-O-M-O. Now, if that's a foreign phrase to you, here's what it means. Fear of missing out. Watching everybody else uh, live their life and enjoy themselves and seeing the highlights of everybody else's life and feeling like, I wish I could be a part of that. Like, nothing like social media, again, to make you feel like everybody else's life is better than yours and you wish that you could engage in the same activities as them. Here's how it works. Let's say it's Friday night and uh, you text some of your friends and you want to see if anybody's interested in going to a movie or hanging out, and everybody either doesn't respond to you, which, by the way, you annoy me, uh, or they say, oh, I'm busy, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got stuff going on, I can't tonight. And so after you've gone through your Rolodex of friends, uh, you find yourself on the couch with sweatpants, a gallon of ice cream, Netflix, and Instagram to keep you company. Now, that sounds like a bad breakup for some, unless you're a parent, in which case that sounds amazing. So there you are, sitting on the couch, and you're scrolling through Instagram as you're between shows. And as you scroll through Instagram, suddenly you see those very same people that you text messaged and you asked to hang out. And there they are, out there having fun, enjoying themselves. They're all at the party. They're all at the movies. And nobody invited you. And you're sitting there and you're like, that's cool. I, don't, I mean, I don't need friends. Like, I have ice cream. Ice cream's great. <laughs> you know, it's the best. But you're, you feel like you're, you're missing out on what everybody else is doing. My oldest daughter, who was, we bragged about earlier, so let me confess some of her sin now. Um, she has a severe case of FOMO. Like, she hates missing out. We stayed home for New Year's, and she felt the whole, like, she was in tears the whole time because she knew there was a party happening with some of her friends that we weren't at, and she just felt like she was missing out. 
And, and when she was younger, she used to open up my phone and she would scroll through Instagram. And again, Instagram doesn't just screw up older people, it messed her up as well as an eight-year-old. And she's scrolling through Instagram and she comes across this photo. You can put this on the screen. Now, this photo is of me and my youngest daughter sitting at a coffee shop enjoying ourselves. Now, before this photo was taken, I dropped my oldest daughter off at preschool, and she was hanging out and doing the school thing, and my youngest was too young to go to school then, so we went out and we had a little coffee date, a little daddy-daughter date, dating her now so that some moron doesn't later. And uh, so Ellie, I posted on Instagram, and Ellie starts scrolling through my Instagram feed, and she comes across this photo, and she says, hey, hey, dad, um, where was this? I said, uh, well, we were, we were getting, you know, a little hot chocolate coffee, a little daddy-daughter date together while, while you were at school. And she's like, oh, so I, I wasn't there. Like, no, you weren't there. <laughs> she's like, okay, okay. Um, were you going to take me to coffee by myself later on? And Livy was out doing something else. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That was my, my, my plan all along, of course. Well, are we going to go right now? Well, we can't right now. And she just loses it right there at the kitchen table, just starts weeping because why? Now catch this. Because her father gave something to her that he didn't give to the oldest. That there was some kind of gift, something that the father invested in her that made the other one feel left out. When it comes to purpose, you can take them off the screen. When it comes to purpose... I think that many of us find ourselves in a very similar situation. I think if we were to peel back sort of the, the curtains of church world, here's what we would see. We would see a whole lot of people that feel kind of left out on the sidelines, sitting on the couch in the spirit, eating ice cream on the, in their sweatpants, looking in at a bunch of other people who seem to know what they're called to do, who seem to know their purpose, who seem to be living out and finding fulfillment in what God is asking them to do, while the others just kind of sit in the cheap seats on the sideline watching. I think that there are these two segments of spiritual society, if you will. Let's call them the discovereds and the discovered nots. The, the elite Christian society that knows what God's called them to do and God's made it clear and you're the preacher, you're the pastor, you're the business guy, you're the, you're the this, you're the that. And then a whole bunch of other people are like, I have no clue why I'm on this planet. I have no idea what God wants me to do. I'm just trying to come to church and figure it out. These, these, this tension, is that, does that resonate? I, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like I see this all the time. And it's a problem for me as a pastor because I understand how imperative it is for every single person on this planet to discover what it is uniquely God has called them to do. I know how important it is for you to have a vision for your life. There is nothing on this planet that will cause you to live with a greater sense of holiness, a greater sense of pursuit of God than having a vision for your life and knowing why you're here. I get that. Proverbs 29, 18, it says, without vision, people will cast off restraint. In other words, they will not restrain themselves. They'll sin with the best of them. They'll do whatever they want to do in the moment because the moment is all they've got to live for. And you see this all the time in church. People who attend church services but live like hell the rest of the week because they have no sense of direction, no sense of purpose. There's nothing greater to live for than, oh, I'll come back next Sunday and we'll try it all over again. 
They live visionless lives. But according to the scripture, if they had vision, they would live with some intention. They would live purposefully. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I can't go there. That isn't for me. Why? Because I got a plan for my life. I have a vision for my life. And so I'm going to restrain myself because I don't want to compromise what God has called me to do. We all need a vision for our life. It is imperative. But here's where I and many pastors like me have screwed up. I know how badly you need to discover your vision, but I've led you to the wrong place to find it. In fact, I think a lot of pastors have led people to the wrong place to find it. Let's call it the mistaken altar. And here's what it looks like, and you've been in this service before. You know, the pastor starts to talk quiet at the end of the service. He's like, hey, I want to invite you to pray with you in just a moment. I'm going to invite the band up. And the band comes up. The guy comes over to the keys. And... <laughs> kind of the whale call thing, right? And everyone's supposed to get into like this emotional moment like, yes, God. And the pastor says, hey, you know, um, God's got a plan for your life. And, uh, you know, our team, we've been praying all week and fasting for you. And I believe God's going to give you a prophetic word today. Our team has just really been, some of you are smiling and laughing right now because you've been in this meeting before, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come down to these altars and we're going to pray a prayer. As we pray a prayer, God's going to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life. And people come running down to the altars. God's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And they come down and they line up and people pray for them. And, and you know what happens? Some people hear from God. Some people have this moment in the presence of God where it's like pff, the heavens open and they get a vision for their life and they're like, this is what I've been waiting for. But I'd suggest that even more people turn around, walk back to their seat, collect their belongings, and head home in despair because for some reason, God talked to that person, but he didn't talk to me. God revealed something to this kid, but the father didn't reveal it to me. And we're right back there on Instagram one kid stuck at school while the other one gets to spend time with daddy and get something that the other didn't. Why? Because we have placed our faith in this altar. In this supernatural moment where the heavens open and God reveals, this is what it's all about. And we're like, well, if it doesn't happen here, I don't know how it's supposed to happen. I, maybe God will talk to you. Just keep coming back. Knock, seek, ask. We even spiritualize it. All because our faith is here. But do you know what this altar produces? This altar produces arrogance and insecurity. Arrogance on the part of those that feel like by some spiritual awakening, God has spoken to them. And insecurity in the hearts of everybody else who feels like for whatever reason, God doesn't want to reveal it to them yet. I don't believe that that is the heart of God. I don't believe that God's heart is for some to have direction while others walk around aimlessly. 
while some hear from him, while others wonder if he's even interested in talking to them. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God of scripture. He is love and his love is equal for every single one of his children. And listen, if we would stop being so charismatic and Pentecostal for just a moment, although I love all of those things, and we would just go back to the Bible, here's what us pastors would tell you. Here's what every single person in this room who has discovered what God has uniquely called them to do would tell you. Before there was ever a moment where God revealed what it is we were supposed to do with our lives, there was a much different altar we had to come to. A much different altar that looked nothing like this. In fact, it was a little bit uglier than a pretty moment in church with God speaking to us. And it's the same altar that the Apostle Paul tells us about here in Romans chapter 12. Come back to the scripture for a moment, and I'll put this on the screen, but look at what the apostle says. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole life as a living sacrifice. You know where sacrifice is put, right? It's put on an altar to offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is reasonable. Don't let the world around you uh, squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Then, somebody say then. Then, then you will come to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Then you will come to know. The promise of verse one is predicated, excuse me, of verse three is predicated on the verse one. Okay, let's go back for just a moment here and read what Paul said. He said, hey, I'm urging you to do something. Get on an altar and offer your life up as a living sacrifice. It's not this altar where we, thank you, God, for revealing my purpose to me. It's an altar where we lay our lives down and we say, God, I'm as good as dead. Without you, I am nothing. I lay my life on the altar and I say, Jesus, you have every ounce of who I am. We lay our lives down before him and we become a living sacrifice. Now, this is a weird context for us because we don't do animal sacrifice in church anymore. But the people of that day would have completely understood the parallel that Paul was drawing here in this scripture. Why? Because what would people do? They would bring a sacrifice to church. They would lay that sacrifice on the altar and it would lose its life right there in front of God and everybody for the sins of people, for the future of people. And God's saying, hey, I'm done with the animals. No more sheep in church. All right, that's weird. All right, we're done with that. I figured it out. It's weird for everybody, okay? But there's still an altar and there's still a sacrifice required. And you're not going to be able to pawn it off on an unwilling animal any longer. In the same way that I gave my life completely to the Father, Jesus says, I want you to give your life to me. Live as if you've lost everything and he has all of you. Then you'll come to know God's plan for your life. Why? Because he'll change the way you think. He'll remold the way you think. You'll begin to think differently about this world. And you'll come to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So then the question begs to be asked. For those that have yet to discover what it is God has uniquely wired and called them and crafted them to do. Have you had that moment of laying everything on an altar and saying, God, you've got all of me. Does he have all of you? Does he have your yes before he asks the question? 
Does he have your future? Does he have your children? Does he have your sexuality? Does he have the decisions you're making right now that are going to affect your family and everything that's going to come? Does he have all of it? Because if he doesn't have all of it, you can pray till you're blue in the face at an altar call. But man, that's like putting the keys in the hands of an eight-year-old to drive a car. He has a plan for your life. It is good, pleasing, and perfect. It fits you like a glove. It's not something that you're going to hate doing for the rest of your life. Like, well, fine, God, I'll do it. No, it is, it is specifically crafted for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I got good plans for you. They're not to harm you. They're to give you a hope and a future. There is a good plan for your life. But, man, the only way to discover it is to lay it all down on an altar. It's this altar before that altar. But here's the the beauty of it. When you live in that place of sacrifice, when God has all of you, not when you visit occasionally, not when you crawl off the altar once it gets uncomfortable. I don't like that scripture and what it says. I'm going to just do something else. But when you live there fully surrendered to Jesus, here's the beauty. It is not hard to figure out what God has called you to do. It is a rather easy process. Why? Because all you have to do is to follow the desires of your heart. Now, I just lost some people. Because <laughs> some of you are thinking like, okay, hold on, hold on. You had me until that. Like, like, there's this girl at my school and I desire her. And I don't think God's cool with that. Like, <laughs> I got some desires in my heart that are a little bit sketchy, Pastor. Okay, it's not what we're talking about. Even like the theologian people in the room are like, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say the heart is deceitfully wicked? There's nothing good in there. We can't trust our hearts. Yes, but let's go back to Psalm 37, verse 4 here for a moment. What what does he say here in, in Psalm 37? He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, at face value, that scripture sounds really awesome. You're like, all I got to do is delight myself in God and he gives me everything I want in my heart? Sign me up. Like, I delight in you, Tesla. Like, is that how it works? <laughs> is it waiting for me out back now? Yes. Not quite. Because that word delight is probably a really bad English translation of the word. Uh, that word delight in the Hebrew is the word anag. And it means to be pliable, like clay in the hands of a potter. You know, clay doesn't really have a say in what it becomes. Clay clay doesn't really have a say in how the potter shapes it. It just sort of lives there in the potter's hand as a lump until it surrenders itself completely to the hands of the potter and says, you can make me whatever you want to make me. To be pliable, like clay in the hands of a potter. And the promise of that scripture is that if we will be like that in God's hands, then he will begin to give us our heart's desires. Maybe a better way of saying it is, he will begin to give us new desires in our heart. As we lay our life in his hands, suddenly God begins to fashion things in our heart that didn't exist before. And somebody over here says, you know what? I never felt like this, but man, as I laid my life on an altar, God began to put a desire in my heart to go to the nations and to preach the gospel. 
God began to put a desire in my heart to write poetry that's going to change the way people think about God. God began to change the way I, I thought, and, and now I see my business differently, and I see my gifts differently, and I see my finances differently, and suddenly God begins to put new desires in our heart that never existed in there before. And listen, when God puts a new desire into your heart, it doesn't become difficult for you to figure out what he's called you to do. All you have to do is follow the desires of your heart because your desires will ultimately lead you to your destiny. Why? Because you can trust what he put there. If your life is on an altar and there's a desire in your heart to sing on a worship team, guess who put it there? That was not some harebrained idea you came up with because you had bad pizza last night. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. If your life is on an altar and God says, I'm going to use your business to do this. You know that gift I gave you to, 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 to practice medicine? I want you to do that in a third world nation where they can't afford it. And I want you to donate your time and make sure that people are receiving what you're giving here, but without any benefit to you other than to serve other people. You didn't put that in your head. That's the Holy Spirit. When we live like this, he will begin to fashion new desires in our heart. I can tell you this. 11, 12 years ago, I had no desire to do what I'm doing right now. To do ministry, to pastor people, I hated my youth pastor when I was a kid. The last thing I wanted to do was become that. Like, like let me get this straight. You make no money and kids hate you and you do it every single week of your life. Cool, that sounds great. No, I don't want to do that. I thought my call was to be in business and to make money and funnel it into the kingdom of God and support the vision of the lead pastor. And I had a great time doing that for a little while. But man, over, this, over the years in the process of laying my life on the altar over and over and over again, suddenly God began to plant some desires in my heart that I couldn't shake. And suddenly I had a desire to pastor people. Suddenly I had a desire to study his word and to communicate and to teach and these things that I'm doing now, they're, they're not some fabricated passion that I have to, you know, sit in a dark room every week and rile myself up to do it again. Okay, come on, you can do it next week and you can do it next week and you can do it next week. No, I am following desires that exist on the inside of my heart because I've laid my life on an altar and God puts something there that is leading me into my destiny. And I'm not special. I haven't come to some place of spiritual awakening like, well, good for you, pastor. Man, all I did was that. I'm nobody. I'm, not, I'm nothing special. I'm the same as every single person in this room. And the promise of God is that if we will live on that altar, whether it's the pastor on the stage or the musician on the stage or the person with a sign or whatever it is that God has called you to do in or outside the context of this church, it does not have to be a mystery you spend your entire life trying to figure out. It can be a simple process of submitting your life to him and just following the desires that he places on the inside of your heart. He's a good Father. So, so here's my appeal. I'm going to ask you today to lay your life down on an altar, especially if you're here and you're living aimlessly. Man, please don't waste another day. Every breath is precious. Every moment is precious. Do not live off purpose. No, let's, let's begin to live intentionally. But my invitation it's going to sound a little off, but I want you to hear me on this. My invitation is not to lay your life on an altar so that you can get something. Okay, this is not some like vending machine exchange. Like, okay, God, I'll give you my life. Purpose. This is, that's not how this works. 
No, no I want to appeal to you the same way that, that the Apostle Paul appealed to the people he was writing to in the book of Romans. And here's how he starts this whole conversation out. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice. I heard somebody say years ago, anytime you read the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? <laughs> like, that's really good. It's there because he's referring back to something he's previously said. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy, in view of everything else I've just told you in the previous 11 chapters of this letter, I'm urging you to offer, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. Why? Because it's reasonable in light of everything that I've just showed you. See, what we must understand is when Paul makes this appeal, he has spent 11 chapters doing a rather exhaustive job of telling everybody reading this letter exactly how good God is, exactly how much God loves you. In chapter one, he says, hey, it's by faith that you've been saved. In chapter two, it's, hey, it's his goodness and his mercy that leads us to a place of repentance. In chapter three, he says, you've been made righteous by faith. In chapter four, he says, he's got good and perfect promises leading up for you. In chapter five, he says, hey, you get to stand in this place of undeserved privilege in the very presence of Jesus. In chapter six, we saw it today. He said, you are dead to sin and you have come alive in Christ through the waters of baptism. In seven, he said, you are no longer a slave to the sin any longer. Eight, he says, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In fact, nothing can separate you from God's love, neither height nor depth, nor things present nor things to come, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything on this planet can separate you from the love of Jesus. Chapter nine, he says, you've been grafted into the promises of God. Chapter 10, he said, hey, the good news is on your lips and it can save anybody who says yes to it. And then in chapter 11, he says, guys, my mercy is sufficient for you. And then in 12, he says, hey, after everything I just told you, offer your life up to Jesus. Not to get something, but in response to how good God truly is. Come on, let's be people that respond to the goodness of Jesus, that respond to the mercy of Jesus and say, you can have all of me. And when he gets all of you, when you're like clay in his hand, man, just follow your heart and you'll do exactly what he's been calling you to do. Amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.